Hey everyone, I'm Miles. Let me ask you this question. Do you want a fresh encounter with God? Or, or maybe do you want him to give you direction in life? Direction is more important than speed. Otherwise we can end up going nowhere fast. Or do you want connection, real communion, friendship? You see, the key to all of these things is intimacy with God. And that's what I want to speak to you about right now, intimacy with God. And we're going to look at an event in the life of the prophet Elijah in the Old Testament. It's about 850 BC and Israel was in a mess. King Ahab is described in 1 Kings 16.33 as doing more to provoke God's anger against him than all the other kings that came before him. Why? Well, partly because Ahab's wife, Jezebel, had influenced him to introduce into the nation the foreign uh, god Baal, to worship the Phoenician god Baal. And uh, Israel's in a terrible state. And Elijah tries to get Ahab to repent and change his ways. And Elijah's ministry sort of reaches a climax on top of Mount Carmel, 1 Kings chapter 18. And there's this sort of pray-off between Elijah on one side and 450 prophets of Baal on the other. And uh, they build altars and then each of them uh, take it in turns to pray, to call upon their God, to send down fire to burn up the altar. And the one whose God sends the fire, well, that proves that they're the one real God. The prophets of Baal go first and they, uh, uh, they dance, they, they cry out, they whip themselves up into a frenzy for hours and nothing happens. And then Elijah, you've got to love the guy. He's a, he's a real showman. He pours gallons of water on his altar to make it even tougher. And then he prays and he says, oh Lord, let it be known today that you are God. And immediately fire falls down from heaven. It burns up the water. It burns up the altar. The people see this and they spontaneously fall down to the ground and they cry out, the Lord, he is God. The Lord, he is God. What an amazing victory for Elijah. But as is often the case, after the victory comes the backlash. You know, the majority of mountain climbing accidents, they don't happen on the ascent, they happen on the descent. Once you've reached the summit, once you've got that goal, once you're elated and the adrenaline comes down and you're tired and you let your guard down, that's when we often slip up. And after the victory of Carmel, Elijah makes some really bad choices. You see, when Queen Jezebel hears about Elijah's victory, she's furious and she curses him. And she sends him a message basically saying, by this time tomorrow, you're gonna be dead. And Elijah loses it. He's gripped with fear and panic. We read that he was afraid and ran for his life. And he runs all the way down to Beersheba, the southernmost uh, town in the land. And there he then isolates himself. He leaves his one servant there and continues alone into the desert. Never a good idea. And he gets to a point where he wants to give up. He's had enough. And he even has suicidal thoughts. Maybe you're running scared right now. 
or after 2020, you feel at the end of yourself. You just want to give up. Or maybe actually you've, you've had some real success, a victory. But right now, inexplicably, you feel really down or a bit depressed. That's quite normal. But the Lord in his kindness then sends an angel to give Elijah food, water, and sleep. Don't underestimate the importance and, and spiritual significance of food, water, and sleep. You can be kind to yourself. And strengthened by these things, Elijah then walks for another 40 days further into the desert and gets to Mount Horeb, also known as Mount Sinai. And then we read these amazing verses of scripture. This is 1 Kings chapter 19, beginning at verse 9. There he, Elijah, went into a cave and spent the night. And the word of the Lord came to him. What are you doing here, Elijah? He replied, I've been very zealous for the Lord God Almighty. The Israelites have rejected your covenant, broken down your altars, and put your prophets to death with the sword. I'm the only one left. And now they're trying to kill me too. The Lord said, go out and stand on the mountain in the presence of the Lord, for the Lord is about to pass by. Then a great and powerful wind tore the mountains apart and shattered the rocks before the Lord, but the Lord was not in the wind. After the wind, there was an earthquake, but the Lord was not in the earthquake. After the earthquake came a fire, but the Lord was not in the fire. And after the fire came a gentle whisper. When Elijah heard it, he pulled his cloak over his face and went out and stood at the mouth of the cave. Then a voice came to him. What are you doing here, Elijah? He replied, I've been very zealous for the Lord God Almighty. The Israelites have rejected your covenant, broken down your altars and put your prophets to death with the sword. I'm the only one left. And now they are trying to kill me too. The Lord said to him, go back the way you came and go to the desert of Damascus. When you get there, anoint Haziel, king over Aram. Also anoint Jehu, son of Nimshi, king over Israel, and anoint Elisha, son of Shaphat, from Abel Mahalah, to succeed you as prophet. Amen. Now, in this passage, we see how God graciously revives Elijah in body, in mind, and in spirit, and then gives him clear direction for his life. Would you like that? Well, how does this happen? Four things. Firstly, cling onto hope. Even though Elijah is, is depressed and he's almost suicidal in the desert, we see a glimmer of hope left in him. We know this because his goal is to get to Mount Horeb, also known as Mount Sinai, that place synonymous with the Jewish faith the place where God gave them the law, the Ten Commandments through Moses. And in verse 9, it says that there he went into a cave and spent the night. Actually, in fact, in the, the original text probably says there he went into the cave. This was probably the cave in Exodus 
chapter 33, that Moses went into when God was about to pass by back then. And when Moses then communed personally with God. In other words, Elijah is still hoping to have an, a personal encounter with God. Do you want that? You can cling onto the hope that you have in Jesus, that he's died for you. He's forgiven you. He's risen to new life for you. And his promises never fail. He promises never to leave you nor forsake you. And you know, in the tough times, I wonder, where is your Sinai? What is that place or time that was significant for you in your faith journey? Or, or if you're new to all of this Christian faith, maybe today is your Sinai moment. Remember that time, maybe in your mind or, or even physically, if you can, return to that place. You know, when, when things are tough for me, when, when the pressures just seem too great and I can't bear it any longer, I, I, I always visualize in my mind, and I don't know why I do this, but I, I always have the same thought in my mind. Uh, it's like sort of Sarah and I have retired and we're in the city of Bruges in Belgium and I'm sitting down with mussels and French fries and mayonnaise by the water. I have no idea why I always think of this, but I do. And Sarah knows this. So whenever I turn to Sarah and say, oh, don't you think Bruges would be a really nice place to go to? She smiles and goes, having a tough day again, Miles. But the thing is, you know, I shouldn't be dreaming of Bruges. Far better in those moments when I remember the time on the 26th of April, 1991, when I was first filled with the Holy Spirit, the presence of God. And when I remember that moment, my Sinai, as it were, it's far more edifying and faith and hope begins to fill me again. Where is or when was your Sinai? There's always hope in Jesus. Cling on to hope. Second thing to do is talk to God. Twice God asks Elijah the same question. What are you doing here, Elijah? And twice Elijah gives him exactly the same answer in verse 10 and then in verse 14. Uh, he says this in verse 10. I've been very zealous for the Lord God Almighty. The Israelites have rejected your covenant, broken down your altars and put your prophets to death by the sword. And I'm the only one left. And now they're trying to kill me too. Now, this shows how dramatic Elijah was. He says, I'm the only one left still following you, God. Well, actually, that wasn't true. We later find out that there's at least another 7,000 people who've remained faithful to God. But it also shows that in giving the same answer, <clears throat> there's no change in Elijah's thinking. He's like a stuck record. I wonder when you're under pressure, do you get mentally stuck? Has your, your thinking or your patterns of thought got stuck recently? Perhaps you can only look at a problem from just the same one angle and you're struggling to see it another way. And what we'll see in this story is that God enables Elijah to get a clear direction. But first, it's really good to be honest with God, like Elijah is with the Lord. 
tell him exactly how you're feeling, even if it isn't accurate. This is the first step to being restored and put back together again. Be real. Be honest with the Lord. God knows how we're feeling already anyway, but he wants us to engage in relationship and intimacy with him, to, as it were, get our emotion off our chest. And also God's question acts as a reminder to Elijah. You see, Elijah's name actually means the Lord is God. The Lord is the true God. So the question really is, what are you doing here? The Lord is the true God. It's a reminder of Mount Carmel. It's like God saying, hey, do you remember just recently, Carmel, when I proved to the prophets of Baal, when I proved to all the people, and when I proved to you, Elijah, that I am the true God? So what are you doing here in the middle of the desert, on the run? It's an encouragement to strengthen Elijah's faith, to build him up in courage at his lowest point. Talk to God, tell him how you're feeling and be encouraged and strengthened by him as you open up honestly to him in prayer. Third step is listen to God. Now this takes choice. This requires us to initiate our will to listen to God. We uh, read this in verse 11. The Lord said, go out and stand on the mountain in the presence of the Lord, for the Lord is about to pass by. So all Elijah needs to do to have this, imper this personal encounter with God is to take about five steps and walk out of the cave in which he's currently sulking. But the incredible thing is, he doesn't do it at first. God sends a powerful wind that begins to shatter the rocks on the mountain. But Elijah stays in the cave. God then sends an earthquake. Now, the last place you want to be when there's an earthquake is in a cave. But still, Elijah does not move. And then God sends fire. Again, it's, it's a reminder of Carmel. Mount Carmel, where the same Lord rained down fire in response to Elijah's prayers. But still, Elijah remains in the cave of doubt and despair. But then we read, then came a gentle whisper. And finally, Elijah walks out to the mouth of the cave to encounter God. Here we see the power of a whisper. God wants to whisper to you today. And why does God whisper? Because he is so close. He's with you by his Holy Spirit right now. He wants you to lean in, to be intimate with him and listen to his whisper. The King James Version of the Bible translates the gentle whisper as a still, small voice. Actually, the literal translation of the Hebrew is the silent sound. God draws close to Elijah and draws close to you 
and me. And this still small voice, this gentle whisper is more compelling than any loud wind, earthquake or fire. Our faith is not in what we see, it is in what God says. And it is intimacy with the Lord in a gentle whisper that leads to transformation within us and hearing his will for our lives. Psalm 25 verse 14 says, the Lord confides in those who fear him. Now God's voice is not always audible. It can be a thought or an impression in your mind, a a silent sound. So you, you might ask, well, how do I know if it's from God or if it's just my imagination? Well, the closer we get to God, the more we get to know him, the more readily we recognize his whisper. And it's important to realize that the primary way in which God speaks to us today, both generally but also specifically, is through the Bible. As someone once said to me, don't say God is silent if your Bible isn't open. And be expectant. He can speak to you. He will speak to you through this. I've shared this before, but years ago when when Sarah and I were praying whether or not I should leave my office job and and go and actually work for the church, train to get ordained and be paid by the church, we were asking the Lord, is that the right thing to do? And Sarah, after the prayer, suddenly said, well, you know, I had this impression in my mind as we were praying. It was a scripture reference, 1 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 13. Do you know what it is? I said, no, let's, let's look it up. So we looked it up. And to our amazement, it's where Paul basically says, don't you know that those that serve at the altar will make their living from the altar? It was a specific answer that God whispered to us through scripture. That's why it's great to do the Bible in one year. You can even do the express version, 10 minutes a day. But expect God to speak to you specifically through his word. When we open our Bibles, we hear the whisper of God. And from that place of intimacy, as we read God's word, it's like we take those few small steps out of the cave to encounter God and hear him speak. I believe that strategic plans for your life will be unveiled to you through intimacy with God. Get close, lean in, read his word. He is speaking. He is whispering to you right now. So we need to cling on to hope. Talk to God. Tell him how we're feeling. Listen to him. Read his word. Uh, Hear that whisper. But fourthly, there's another important step. We then need to be bold and obey what he tells us. You know, once out of the cave, God speaks to Elijah with absolute clarity and gives him a totally clear strategy of what to do in his life and in the life of the nation. So rather than trying to get Ahab and Jezebel to change, which is what Elijah's essentially been doing up until now, God gives Elijah a different strategy, one that he'd never have come up with by himself. God says this to him in in verses 15 and 16. The Lord said to him, go back the way you came and go to the desert of Damascus. When you get there, anoint Haziel, king over Aram, 
Also anoint Jehu, son of Nimshi, king over Israel, and anoint Elisha, son of Shaphat, from Abel Mehalah, to succeed you as prophet. Now, Haziel would eventually kill Ahab, and Jehu would eventually become king of Israel and institute much-needed reforms in the land. And Elisha would become Elijah's successor as prophet. This is a completely radical strategy. The question now is whether Elijah would be bold enough to obey. You see, here's the equation of how it works. God's word plus our will equals God's ways. So be bold and obedient in carrying out his instructions. Don't just follow what everyone else is thinking or doing. And as for Elijah, well, he only sadly partially obeys. He does immediately go and anoint Elisha. And it's wonderful. No longer is Elijah on his own. He has companionship and he has someone to help finish his work. You see, just as Moses was given Joshua, whose name means the Lord saves, so Elijah was given Elisha, whose name means God saves. But Elijah stops short. He doesn't anoint Haziel. He doesn't anoint Jehu. Eventually, Elisha would have to anoint Haziel and Jehu. But not before 13 years in the life of Israel are wasted. So don't be almost obedient. Don't stop short. I want to encourage you, be all out, 100% obedient to God. Because an invitation to obey is not just an invitation to walk out of the cave of despair. It's also an invitation to walk into God's perfect plans for your life. And obedience flows from a place of intimacy with God. Jesus modeled this perfectly. He said, the Father and I are one. And from that place of intimacy, for the joy set before him, he endured the, the cross and scored, scorned its shame. Jesus was obedient even unto death on a cross for you and for me, that we might have eternal life in him. So why don't we pray to him right now? Wherever you're watching this, maybe just place your hands out in front of you or, or just, just pray this prayer. Just pray, Lord, I, I turn to you now. I'm desperate. I, I repent of when I've not listened to you or done my own thing. And pray, I want to follow you, Jesus. Would you come now by your Holy Spirit? Come, Holy Spirit, and be with me. Rest upon me right now. 